0: So to start today's message, I want to ask you, how would you describe a blessed life? When you think about a life that's blessed, what images come to mind for you? What thoughts come to mind for you? And if we were to go out onto Henley Beach Road and to ask the people who are walking into IGA this morning, how would you describe a blessed life? What do you think they would say? If we went down to Henley Square to all the people who are having a coffee and brunch, although maybe not too many this morning because it is a bit fresh, and ask them, what would you describe a blessed life as, what do you think that they would say? I think most people, when we think about a blessed life, we think about having everything under control. We think about having a good job, healthy finances, lots of security, our relationships are all in a healthy place, we live in a nice house, we're healthy and well, and there's this sense where there's no struggles in our lives, no challenges, Everything's in a great place. That's generally what we think of when we think about what it means to be blessed. As Gordon mentioned, today we're starting a new series and we're going to begin by asking ourselves, what does Jesus have to say about what a blessed life looks like? This series is called Jesus' Greatest Hits. And no, I'm not going to cover all of Jesus's greatest hits. It's absolutely true. Uh, But as I was praying and processing about what my final message series would be here at Brooklyn Park, I hope that it doesn't come as a surprise, that I would want to come back ultimately to Jesus and to what it is that he's got to say. And so we're going to take some time over the next few weeks uh, to unpack some of what I think uh, Jesus's most important, most powerful and most transformative teachings. And to remind ourselves that this is what Jesus calls us to live out as we follow him. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5, because uh, that's where we're going to spend some time today. And hopefully grabbed a copy of the teaching notes on your way in as well, because uh, you'll need them as we make our way through today's message as well. It made sense to start this series at the Sermon on the Mount, because that is what we understand is the beginning of Jesus' teaching. And I would argue that Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7 are actually a summation of pretty much all of Jesus' teaching. I've often said that if I just had Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and none of the rest of the Bible, I would still have more than enough to reflect on and to put into practice in my life for my entire life. Now, I'm grateful that we do have a lot more than that, but there is so much condensed into what we call the Sermon on the Mount that it's amazing. But I think we can actually go almost a little bit further And say that ultimately everything that Jesus focuses on is actually summed up in one way or another through these statements that are called the Beatitudes. These statements of what it means to live a blessed life. So the term Beatitude, in its original context, meant happiness or to be supremely blessed. And to really understand what Jesus is trying to get at with this idea of saying this is what a blessed life looks like, we need to remind ourselves about the Jewish concept of shalom. This is something that we talk about a fair bit, that the word peace, that we have often translated, uh, comes from this Jewish word shalom, which is not just about the absence of conflict. Often when we think about peace, we just think about the absence of bad things happening. But shalom is much fuller than that. It's about wholeness. It's about well-being. It's about everything, including our relationships, being in the state that they're supposed to be. But it's also the idea of that being a permanent state of being. It's not something that comes and goes. And so particularly when we think about something being blessed, we can sometimes think about just giving someone a blessing, something that kind of happens for a moment, but then it passes. But the concept of shalom is something that is our permanent experience. This is the default that we get to live out. And so what Jesus gives us are these principles that will lead us to a life of wholeness, a life of everything being the way that it's supposed to be, and for that to be our default state of being. But I also love that we can look at this word beatitudes and pull it apart and recognise that it's the be attitudes, a set of attitudes for us to adopt so that we can be like Jesus. It's not so much focused on actions, although that's inevitably where it ends up, but it's much more about our attitudes, our motivations, And what's happening on the inside. And the way in which that affects our state of being. Not our state of doing, but our state of being. These are the attitudes that we can focus on so we can be like Jesus. And as he does so often, Jesus tips everything on its head and shows us that what we often shy away from, the things that we often resist, are actually the things that we need to lean into if we want to experience a blessed life. So I'm going to use the message translation to unpack the Beatitudes because uh, partly I'm aware that the Beatitudes are some statements that are very, very familiar to lots of us, but I also think that the message translation brings all of them beautifully alive. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. I want you to picture what this would have been like. So there's these people who have just kind of encountered Jesus for the first time. They've met Jesus and they've realised there's something very, very different about him. And so they've made a decision to say, we're going to follow this guy. We're going to see where this all leads. And so Jesus takes them up on a hillside and they all sit down you can imagine the sense of anticipation as they wait for Jesus to start teaching them. What's he going to say? What's he going to tell us? You can kind of imagine them all kind of leaning in, in eager readiness about what Jesus is going to say. I want to encourage you to adopt that same posture this morning, to lean in. What do you think it is that Jesus wants to say to you as we hear these statements? Now, I admit there's a lot that we're going to unpack in a very short amount of time. In reality, you could take each of the Beatitudes and do a whole message on each of them. But as we make our way through them, I would love you as you lean in to just be aware, are there any of these that kind of jump out at me? Are there any of these that resonate with me in a deeper way? Are there any of these where I feel just a little gentle prod from the Holy Spirit, saying that's something to keep your attention on? If that happens, I want to encourage you to make sure that you note that because that's what we're going to come back to at the end. So let's make our way through these. This is what Jesus said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. We recognise that when we have nothing left, that's when we most often throw ourselves on God. When we recognise that it's not actually about my strength, it's not about my achievements. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not about my power. It's not about my smarts. It's all about God. Something shifts radically. And I know I've experienced that a lot in my life. I'm sure many of you have as well. When things are going well, we can kind of just kind of have God drift into the background a little bit. We've got things under control. Things are in a good place and we hit the cruise control button and just kind of coast for a little while. And sometimes, sad to admit, God kind of gets forgotten about and he's just in the background. But when things crumble, when things fall apart, when we hit rock bottom, when we get to the end of our rope, that's when we often find ourselves letting go of ourselves. What I can do, and we focus far more on God and what it is that he can do. So we're blessed when we get to that point And say, God, I've got nothing left. And God says, finally, now I can do what only I can do because you're in a place of dependence. Jesus then says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. The translation that many of us will be familiar with this one is, blessed are those who mourn. And it's important to recognise that when this word mourn is used in this context, it's not just talking about mourning the loss of someone who's close to us. The word mourn in its context here is actually about mourning and grieving the suffering that is in the world. It's about recognising the brokenness that's around us, the pain that so many people go through. And we all have those moments where when we stop and think about what's happening in our world, we mourn. We grieve. We know that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. So Jesus says when we get to that point where we realise just how broken everything is, we experience a sense of being embraced by God. So why is that? Well, it's because in those moments we recognise that none of this is a surprise to God. God's not unaware of all the suffering and all the brokenness that's around us, and nor is God unmoved by all of that. All of it grieves God. All of it makes God mourn as well because he knows the way that life is supposed to be. And so we have an opportunity to be able to lean into God and to be able to say, God, you know what's going on. You know how broken everything is. Wrap your arms around me. Wrap your arms around us so that we can experience what you've got for us. But there is also a challenge here to recognise... That when we mourn, when we struggle, when we go through difficult times, we often allow others in. We often allow other people to care for us in ways that we don't when everything's going well. Particularly when you've gone through a time when you've been grieving something, you know that there's a sense where we do open ourselves up and we allow others in. And in those moments, we recognise that we are embraced, we are comforted and we are cared for in much, much deeper ways than sometimes we feel at other times and so us being willing to open ourselves up and to be vulnerable gives us an opportunity to experience that from God and from the people around us. Jesus then says you're blessed when you're content with just who you are no more and no less that's the moment that you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now, once again, the translation that most of us would be familiar with is blessed are the meek. The challenge is when we think about the word meek, we often think about that being weak. But the reality is that meekness is not about weakness at all. Meekness is the idea of having a gentle spirit, a controlled spirit, a humble spirit. That's why I love the way that the message translation puts that. Content with who we are. No more and no less. Contentment comes from us being in a place where we know we don't have to strive. We don't have to push. Contentment comes from a place of gratitude for what we have rather than focusing on what we don't. And when we focus on that, when we experience contentment in our lives, we discover that we are in fact the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. It's not about pride in what we can achieve, pride in what we've done, pride in what we've got. But it's a pride in something that no one else can give us except for God. Genuine contentment. A genuine sense of saying, I have enough. I have enough because of Jesus. Jesus then says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Familiar translation is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Righteousness is about a right, complete, full relationship with God. And so I love this because it is saying, are we hungry for more of God? Is God our overwhelming desire? And I love this imagery of working up a good appetite for God. Think about the idea of kind of working out in the garden or working on a project or doing some exercise, going for a long walk, and you come home Oh, man, I've worked up an appetite. I'm really, really hungry. I can't wait to eat. That's the picture that's being painted here for us. Is that what we're cultivating? A hunger for God. And not the things of God, not what God can do for us, but a genuine hunger for God himself. A genuine hunger and thirst for a deeper relationship with God. A closer relationship with God. Because we recognize that when that's what our hunger is, God is the best food and drink that we could ever experience. There's nothing that matches. Jesus then says in verse 7: You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. This one's a bit challenging because, I don't know about you, but when I think about the idea of being careful, full of care for others and constantly giving out and giving out and giving out, it feels kind of a little bit exhausting. That's really, really tiring if I'm just consistently giving out all the time. This is a good reminder that most of what Jesus tells us, including the Beatitudes, is not just individual advice for us. The idea is that this is what we embrace together as people who followed Jesus together. And this is a great reminder of that, because if each of us choose to focus on what it means to care for each other, then no one misses out. I care for you, but you care for me. We all care for each other, and therefore we find ourselves feeling cared for. But we also discover that if we live our lives full of care, many of us have had this experience, that God gives us this inner strength we didn't realise that we had. There are some times when we choose to put ourselves out there and we recognise that God uses us in really, really significant ways. So when we choose to care, to be full of care, we actually discover that God cares about us, but we also have others who care for us too. And once again, we're reminded about the challenge of vulnerability here. Are we willing to let others in, to let them know what we need, To let them know those areas where we're struggling so they can care for us. Because some of the reasons why we don't feel cared for sometimes is because we put the shutters up. We pretend everything's fine. I don't need any help. I'm good. I'm just going to go and serve everyone else. Jesus reminds us that a part of us being family means that we're cared for as well. Jesus then says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right then you can see God in the outside world. It's so easy for us to think that living a blessed life is about getting all of our externals right, that we'll be blessed if we do the right things, if we say the right things, if we're perceived the right way. If all of that happens, then God will bless us. God will reward us. But for Jesus, everything's the complete opposite. He says that transformation in our lives comes from the inside out. If we get our hearts and our minds right, then we can see God clearly. Now, whenever we read in scripture about our hearts, it's really talking about our motives, the reasons why we do the things that we're doing. And when we think about our minds, we think about our thoughts. So what Jesus is saying is if we get our motives, our attitudes right, and if we get our minds, our thoughts right, then our actions will naturally flow from that. And suddenly As our motives and our thoughts align, we see God much more clearly than when we're just trying to say it's all about me and what I can do. So as someone who is a big doer, this is very challenging for me because so much of my life is about doing, focusing on doing the right things. And even if those things are good things, reading my Bible, praying, serving, caring for other people can be all about the externals. Jesus' challenge to us is to say, are we willing to sit with him and to be with him? Not to do with him, but to be with him. And to open ourselves up and say, I lay my heart before you, my motives before you. I lay my mind, my thoughts before you. And to recognise that as our heart and our minds, our motives and our thoughts are transformed, we become more and more like Jesus. Jesus. And ultimately, our actions will follow, but they'll follow because we've been transformed, not so we can hope to earn something. We've got two more to go. Verse 9, Jesus says, You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I love this version of what being a person of peace looks like. Showing people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. And we talk about the idea of being peacemakers. Again, this is what we're kind of familiar with, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers is really about peace creators, people who are intentionally trying to create a sense of peace around us. And again, we're reminded that that word peace is this word shalom, wholeness and well-being. It's not just the absence of conflict, but so much more than that. When we choose to be people who work for that, who are peace creators, who are seeking to create environments where people can experience that, we actually discover that we're a full part of God's family, that we're accepted and we're loved and embraced. And initially I was like, I'm not sure how those two things match up. But then I thought about some of the family fights and conflicts that we have in our family. Yes, even us, we have fights and conflicts in our family. And so often what that's about is, it's not fair. How come I didn't get what I wanted? Something's not going the way that I want. Someone's being treated differently than how I am. It's not fair. It's so unfair. The reality is, when we sit down as a family and talk those things things through, When we focus on what it looks like to cooperate rather than to compete with each other, we're reminded that we all belong. It's not unfair. No one's better or worse than anyone else. We're all family together. Jesus is reminding us that when we focus on being peace creators, helping each other to cooperate rather than compete or fight, we're reminded and we rediscover again just how beautiful it is that we're all a part of God's family because of Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 10, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, but count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of wish Jesus had left this one off. This one's a little bit too challenging, a little bit too pointy. When we think about the idea of being blessed, is there an assumption that that's going to include persecution? I don't think so for most of us. We don't want to think that following Jesus means that we're going to experience challenges in our lives, that we're going to be made to feel uncomfortable and that we might make other people feel uncomfortable as well. And as we unpack this, we recognise that this isn't just about railing against secular culture. Sometimes when we think about what persecution looks like, we can kind of go to those big picture things. But some of the more subtle realities about what it means to resist the culture around us as well. In a culture that's all about me, am I willing to go against the grain and be someone who's completely others-centred? In a culture that's all about my achievements and what I can do, that's very focused on success and recognition, am I willing to let go of those things and to pursue contentment? In a culture that's all about having it all together, pretending that we're fine, pretending that we don't need any help, I'm good, thank you very much, Are we willing to be vulnerable? And in a culture that often forgets about those who are marginalised, those who are on the fringes, those who are invisible, are we willing to stand up for them and to stand up for justice, even if it means that it makes us or other people uncomfortable? So as I mentioned at the start, that's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. A lot that we could unpack there. And I want you to return back to that image. And imagine sitting with Jesus and hearing those things for the first time. Imagine sitting there as one of these first followers of Jesus and hearing him say all of those statements. This is what it means to live a life the way that God created you to live. (laughs) Mind blown as you hear that. So upside down. So different from anything that you've ever heard before. And maybe some of us are experiencing that this morning as well, whether we're hearing these things for the first time or hearing them in a new way for the first time. It's a sense of us being able to say, this is so different to what I normally think about when I think about what a blessed life looks like. The challenge for us is to not just say, wow, that's such amazing teaching from Jesus. I've shared this quote before from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Humanly speaking, it's possible to understand the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. But Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting or applying it, but doing and obeying it. That's the only way to hear his words. He doesn't mean for us to discuss it as an ideal. He really means for us to get on with it. As Maureen noted on the front of the newsletter this morning, the Beatitudes are all about us putting these things into practice. It's not just about how good and powerful Jesus' teaching is. We have to recognise that this is how Jesus lived his life. These aren't just things that he said. This is how he lived. And this is how he calls us to live. So what does a blessed life look like? A life that embodies these B attitudes. That's the challenge of what it means to follow Jesus. But it can be a little bit overwhelming to think about trying to say, I'm going to change my life with all of those things. And so that's why it's so important for us to just be able to zoom in. And so for our reflection question, I want to ask you, to just pause and say, which one of these B attitudes is Jesus calling you to focus on this week? Now, once again, it's really important to recognize this is not a checklist. This is not a to-do list, a list of things that I've got to somehow make sure that I'm doing more of. This is actually a list of things for me to open myself up to, a list of things to surrender, a list of things to let go of, a list of things to allow God to fill me with. And so I want to encourage you to take a moment to be able to say which one of these jumps out at you and practically speaking, what does that look like for you as we head into this week? If you're at the end of your rope, what does it look like to throw yourself on God? If you've lost something dear to you, what does it look like to allow God to embrace you? If you're struggling to feel significant, what does it look like to practice contentment? If you're feeling hungry or thirsty or empty, what does it look like to allow God to feed and fill you? If you're aware of someone in need, what does it look like to show them practical care? If you're struggling to see God, what does it look like to allow God to search your heart and your mind? If you're sensing conflict around you, what does it look like to help people to find common ground? And if you're feeling uncomfortable, what does it look like to allow Jesus to encourage you to keep going? Is there one of them that jumps out at you? Take a couple of moments to reflect and particularly to jot down some practical thoughts about what it will look like to focus on that this week. Then we'll come back and pray and transition across the communion. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that your teaching is so powerful and so transformative. And that so much of that is because your teaching ultimately is all about you and not about us. We thank you that as we've looked at this morning, the life that you call us to is not one where it's all about us putting more pressure on ourselves and having to do more and more and more to prove ourselves. But it is about a life of surrender. It's about us letting go. It's about us recognising that sometimes it's in those moments where we do reach the end of our rope, where we do hit rock bottom, where we experience you in far more powerful ways. Thanks that that's something that doesn't just have to happen when we go through negative times, but we can choose to allow ourselves to get to a place of dependence And vulnerability with you, where we can open ourselves up with all of the stuff that's inside of us, all of the challenges, all the brokenness that we experience, and to be able to recognise that you love us, you accept us, you embrace us as we are. And as we experience the transformational, radical, amazing, grace-filled love that you offer us, we discover that we become more like you. And so my prayer is that as we head into this week, you would continue to challenge us about what the next thing is for us to focus on. Thank you that it's not about us trying to get all of this under control, trying to focus on all of it at once, but that you simply call us to take the next step, recognising that there's another step and another step and another step after that as we walk with you, as we follow you. So as we head into this week, help us to know what that one next step is. Help us to prioritise that, to spend time with you in that, and to experience the transformation that you want to offer us in that. In your name we pray. Amen.